Okay, morning folks. Um, you may have noticed that I've asked for the table to be laid out before us um, this morning from the beginning. There is a reason for that because I think what we're doing this morning very much leads up to this. Because what we're going to talk about this morning is very much wrapped up in this. However, let's um, get into what we're actually doing this morning. Um, Ephesus, Ephesians. Um, let's do a little bit of backtracking, shall we? Um, there we are. There's Ephesus. Um, interesting city. You can still go there. Um, but I was there in 2012. Um, absolutely stunning ruins. If you ever get a chance, do go there. You've been, Ali, haven't you? Yeah, yeah they are, aren't they? Really, absolutely stunning what you can see there. Um, in his day, AD 60, when Paul was around, um, very prosperous city. Um, what was interesting about it was that it was a highly multicultural city. You probably had every ethnic group in the empire in Ephesus at some time. It was a trading city. Main language around there, Greek, um, no matter what, pe- what, what background people had. And, of course, it had rather a, rather a steep decline after that. It was a port city. The port silted up. Um, the trade stopped. Then it had an earthquake. Then it got sacked by the Goths. And by the time you get to around about 10, 10, 10 to 1200, um, it was being quarried for the town of um, Izmir, just up, the, just up the road from there. That's the city. Um, you can still go there today, as I say. Um, and there's one of my holiday snaps to encourage you. Um, that's actually the arena where the riot took place and Paul was. Paul was. Uh, you may notice that I'm, I'm in it there. You also notice I'm walking on my own. The reason for that is the temperature was about 35 degrees that day and Turkish Airlines had lost my luggage. And I didn't get it for another 12 hours. So I found I was walking on my own a lot in the party. I can't, I can't, I can't, can't imagine why, but, but there we are. Um, but well worth, well worth a visit. Let's just talk about the actual makeup of the city because it's important to grasp hold of this. Very, very multicultural city. Every ethnic group in the empire was represented there. There's archaeological evidence to suggest that you had people with, wait for it, British names. For certain, they were there. That's how, that's how, that's how, how what a collection it was of every ethnic group you had. Most people spoke Greek, but you'd also have lots and lots of other languages being spoken. That's the sort of place it was. And of course, you had. Um, the temple of the goddess Diana. You can't see it today because the Christians in around about AD 200 um, demolished it and the Muslims finished it off. Um, so the temple of Diana is not there. But Diana was an interesting god. Um, yes, she was the big god as far as Ephesus was concerned. But what was more interesting was if Keith had turned up in, in, in Ephesus in AD 60 and said, I worship the god Fred, Provided he had a few followers, he could have gone along to the temple and said, Excuse me, we worship the god Fred. We'd like, we'd like Fred to become part of, part of Diana's, I don't know, F group or whatever. So you had not didn't have just, just Diana. You had lots and lots and lots of smaller gods that pe- people introduced. They were introduced either from people's whim or from all over the empire. Now, that's important because the number of gods there were was probably in treble figures. Huge number of gods all clustered around Diana. 
The other large group in the town was the Jews. We're not absolutely sure how many there were. The archaeological evidence for the, for the, for the synagogue, well, as far as we can see, there seems to have been one large synagogue and one small one. But there's not a lot of archaeological evidence, so we're not absolutely sure how big a community it was. But it was probably quite a reasonable size. You've got those two groups, though. You've got those groups, which are the bulk of the population, who are actually worshipping Diana, with this range of gods. And looking at these Jews with their one god, and thinking, oh, come on, get real. One god? That's all you've got? But at the same time, you had the Jews looking, looking possibly in a bit of a superior way. I'm not, you know, sorry that sounds a bit anti-Semitic, but you know, but, but you could imagine it, couldn't you? You could imagine this, this, the Jews actually looking at the people and saying, well, we've got one God, we've got the right God. The two groups didn't get on. Not a lot of evidence, not a lot of evidence for any real violence, but for certain, the two groups did not get on. Now, that's a background to everything that Paul's writing in Ephesians. Because remember, when Paul wrote these letters, he didn't just write these letters because he liked writing letters. He might have done. But he wrote them because he was usually addressing, with one possible exception, he was addressing issues that seemed to be going wrong. That's what, that, and that's a background to, effort, to the letters of the Ephesians. That some things seem to be going wrong. It's quite definitely something... It's certainly something that was going wrong, what we're looking at today. That's the passage we're going to look at today. Now, I don't know if you realize we thought about this, but I think we're spoiled. Um, I'm not saying this critically of anybody, but it was very interesting. As soon as that went up, three people reached for their Bibles. Fine. I guarantee I could go around this room at the moment and I'd probably find at least three different versions of the Bible. Some of you will probably tell me exactly what's in that passage. We know these things. We carry it around our phone. We've got instant access. Well, that wouldn't have been the experience of these Christians in the first century. Um, what would have happened is, the letter would have arrived, it might have been sent around several churches, and it would have been read out. And they'd have listened. And what I'd like you to do this morning is this. I'd like you to, do, like you to just put yourself in the position of those early Christians. So, if you've got your Bible handy, please put it away. <laughs> and Peter thank you is going to come and read this passage and I want you to listen to it just as they would have done in AD 60 and then I want you to do a little exercise before you do though that's how it starts therefore remember you once Gentiles in the flesh that's who it's being addressed to and when it's done I want you to think about which part, which part of that passage has had the most impact on you, just as those people in AD 60 would have done. Got the idea? No looking at your Bibles. Peter, come and read to us, please. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners in the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Thank you, Peter. Okay. Three minutes. I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and decide what you think is the most... bit of the passage has had the most impact on you. And can I make a suggestion? If you're sat next to your partner, find somebody else to talk to. Three minutes. Go on, off you go. What what bit of the passage made the most impact on you? Okay, can I pull you back together, please? Um, thank you for actually getting involved in that. Um, come on, tell me. Nice and loud so we can all hear, even without the microphone. Um, what, what were the, which bits made the most impact on you that you've just heard, heard Peter read? By the way, Peter, thank you very much. Any offers? So these are the few points that came out of discussion among the church whilst uh, they contemplated Ephesians chapter 2. Firstly, it was identified that God wants to bring us all together, for us not to be far apart, that we should be intimately linked, that there is no difference. Human nature tends to want to, to push other people away, but it's God's plan to draw us together. This was followed by a very similar, simple point that two nations were seen in this passage as being brought together. The third point made was that rituals do not make us Christian. Being circumcised, or for that matter any other ritual, is no longer required simply that we accept Jesus as our Saviour. The fourth point made was that sometimes when Jews become Christians, they can be put on a pedestal in some way, but that this passage clearly rejects this notion. Even Gentile Christians can, can place Jews on some kind of pedestal, in some way describing them as Christians with a some kind of plus. But it's clear from Ephesians 2 that there is no hierarchy amongst the body of Christ. Finally, 
the wonderful truth that all of us who are far away have been brought near. Okay, thank you very much. Interesting, isn't it, when you actually listen to something that you probably know, probably quite familiar with, you see it in a different, see it in a different context. Okay, let's have a look and see what Paul actually went on to say. Let's pick a few things out. Um, what does he say about the Gentiles? That's anybody who was not a Jew, the vast majority of the population. First of all, he, says the, course, he talks about the, uncircum, the uncircumcision. I reckon that was a, I, reckon, I think that was a, well, that was true, but I think as well, I think it was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek term of abuse, a sort of mild term of abuse. Um, I mean, it remind, tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me, when I was at the um, school I went to, we always had 20, because of the foundational school, we had 25% Roman Catholic boys. And, and for reasons which I never worked out, and I was at Old Boys did a little while ago, talking about this, why it was, we always called the, the, we always called the Roman Catholic boys the left-leggers. Now, don't ask me why, I went right through the school, not being quite unclear why we, call, why we called them that, but we did. And I think the uncircumcision is probably one of those things as well. They would say, oh, this, ah, the, the uncircumcision. I can imagine the Jewish population saying that. It was at that level. But going a bit more seriously, aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel shut out of any of the blessings that had been available to the Jewish people. Strangers from the covenant of promise. Yeah. Strangers of the covenant of promise. All the promises that were made to Abraham shut out from, not available in any, in any sense. Next one's interesting, having no hope. Having no hope. You go around the graves in Ephesus, and very interesting, because they all seem the same at one level, apparently. Um, they're all written in Greek. Even the Jews, because of the way the, the, the city was set up, the Jews would have the inscriptions on their gravestones in Greek. But apparently, if you read them, the Jews always had that hope of a life beyond the, beyond the grave. The phrase that crops up time and time again in Gentile graves is valle. Valle. And because I had the benefit of classical education, I can tell you it means farewell. They saw no hope beyond the grave. And apparently, you, know, you can go around the graves in Ephesus and you can find, you can distinguish. You can't distinguish from the, from the writing like you normally can, but you can distinguish from what's written there that the Jews saw a real hope of life beyond the grave. As far as the Gentiles were concerned, it was valet. It's over. Goodbye. Big difference, isn't it? Without God in the world, yeah. Without God in the world, without any concept or any experience of God, and that is how Paul lays out the situation of the Gentiles. I missed something, didn't I? Back to my holiday snaps again. Do you recognise it? I know two people in the room, Will. Yes. Sorry? It's Bethlehem. It's a security wall in Bethlehem. It's a security wall that divides two people. And the side, that's taken from the Bethlehem side, from the Arab side. On the other side is the Jewish side. And it really does divide two people. Uh, and it's quite an emotional thing. It's quite an emotional thing standing there realising that that is dividing two people. And, you know, we, we were able to wave our British passports and just go through. Very interesting, our Jewish guide, 
couldn't go through. If you're an Israeli citizen, you're not allowed to come in to the side we were in. If you're an Arab, you can go through to work on a very, very limited basis. You know, whatever you think about the rightness or wrongness of that war, it really does divide two people, and they carry in the scars for it. Well, what did Jesus do? He brought us near by the blood of Christ. Brought us near to God, and also brought us near to each other. He made us both one, and that's a key phrase. He made us both one. And if we get nothing else out of this morning, please hang on to this one. It does not matter what our ethnic background is. It doesn't matter what our first language is. It doesn't matter what our education is. It doesn't matter what our wealth is. It doesn't matter where we live or how we live. Jesus has made us one. And I think that's something to get quite excited about. But Jesus has actually made us one, regardless of our background and all the other things that can easily divide us. He's abolished the enmity. Remember what I said? There was, there's not a lot of evidence for any real violence against, between the Jewish community and the others in Ephesus, but they don't seem to have gone on. Jesus has dealt with that. And the reason that Paul was writing this part of the letter, I think, is because that sort of thing was still prevalent in the church. Does that make sense? In one body. We have been brought into one body. Please remember the picture that Paul uses in another one of his letters. He talks about the body. My hand is not the same as my nose, don't think. But it's part of the body. I could pick several people out here, but I won't because I'm in, I might embarrass myself as much as anybody else, and say they're different, but we're part of one body. If you've been born in a, one country, if you've been born in France, you're still French, but you're still part of a body, the same body. If your skin is a particular colour, you're still part of the body. If you speak a particular language, you're still part of the body. We are one body. And that's what Jesus has done. Recognise it? Brandenburg Gate in Berlin. And one of my clear childhood memories, when I was 12, I think, uh, was watching the television and seeing the wall being built that what I still regard as the most beautiful piece of architecture. It was a really you know, awful sight to watch and so quite a few of us watched it. One of my memories though is seeing, seeing a German policeman and it only appeared, only appeared for a few seconds but I can still remember it very very starkly. Seeing this German policeman on the western side standing there and look of absolute horror on his face for this wall was being built. And it wasn't just the fact it was a monstrosity, but that wall divided families. If you happened to be on the wrong side of the wall, hard luck, mate. You were, you were, that's where you were. And if your family were on the other side, in some cases it took years to get families reunited after the, after the wall was built. That was the impact it had. And if you remember, in 19... 
89, was it? I can't remember that. Whenever it was, you know. Um, the wall came down. And one of the things that will stick in my memory is almost like that German policeman back in 61, when he, when another German policeman standing there with the same look of shock, but also a look of joy, because this thing was coming down, this thing that had divided Germany completely, divided Berlin in particular, was coming down. Well, that's more or less what Jesus did for us and the different groups in society. Read on. For Christ himself had brought us peace by making Jews and Gentiles one people. With his own body he broke down the wall, separated them and kept them enemies. And then flicked down to the bottom. It is through Christ that all of us, Jews and Gentiles, let me read that again, it's important. It is through Christ that all of us, Jews and Gentiles, are able to come in the one spirit into the presence of the Father. Regardless of our background, our ethnicity, our language, and all the other things that normally divide us. We are all able to come into the presence of the Father. Let me show you another wall. Only this time it's not a wall of division. It's a wall that's being built. It's being built even as we speak. And it's back to the passage again. So then, you Gentiles, that's most of us in this room, are not strangers or foreigners any longer. You are now citizens together with God people and members of the family of God. You too are being built upon the foundation laid by the apostles and the prophets, the cornerstone, being Christ Jesus himself. Then flick down a little bit. In union with him, you too are being built together with all the others into a place where God lives through his spirit. Let me read that once more. In union with him, you too are being built together with all the others into a place where God lives through his spirit. That's the situation now. That's the situation we're in. For the sake of time, I'm just going to flick through the next two slides. But I'd like to show you a picture of the church. I searched high and low for a picture and ended with one I wasn't particularly satisfied with, so this one will have to work. I tried to find a picture that, as far as I could see, had every ethnic group I could think of in. Somebody will probably say, hold on a minute, you forgot about... I probably did. But you get the idea. That's how God sees the church. That lot of one body. The one body in Christ. Um, I'd like to have found one. I had children in as well. We're going to correct that in a few minutes, because in a few minutes we're going to break bread and we're going to bring the children back in. We're one body in Christ. Let's say it again. In union with him, you too are being built together with all the others into a place where God lives through his spirit. That's you and me and any other Christian. We're being built together with all the others into a place where God lives through his spirit. I came across a new translation of the Bible um, and I'm very, happy to, I'm very happy to take orders for it afterwards. Um, it's called the Donoghue Version, published in 2015. Um, and in the Donoghue Version, that verse reads, 
In union with him, I too am being built together with you into a place where God lives through his spirit. Do you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Mm -hmm. Could you do something for me then? Would you like to, would you like to, would you like to turn to somebody who you're not related to and possibly someone you might, you're not, don't know terribly well and say to them, in union with him, I too am being built together with you into a place where God lives through his spirit. Go on, you can say it to more than one person as well. Okay, guys. Just wanted, just want to have a look at that verse again up on there. We've been, we are being built together. For what purpose? Why are we being built together? Well, from that verse, it says we're built, being built together, so that we can be a place where God lives through His Spirit. The picture of the body is one that we're very, very familiar with. Uh, and we are being built together. Dave showed a picture of the wall. Each of us, we can picture ourselves as bricks in the wall. We're being built together. So that God can move and live through us by his spirit. I'm just labouring that point because that's the whole purpose of it doesn't matter, as Dave was saying, about our ethical background, our colour of our skin, um, what we're like as people. We are being built together. And Jesus has done that. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you think, I don't want to be built next to that brick. <laughs> But nevertheless, that might be our preference, but that's not God's plan. And I'm sure that you, like me, want to submit all of that to God's plan. So he does build us together. How are we going to do that? How are we going to, how are we going to want to be built into that particular, next door to that particular brick? Well, we start here, don't we? We start with, with the the spirit of Jesus that he's put in us mm. and we're enabled to do that because Jesus died to make us one body so I'm going to break the bread in, in just a minute I'm going to hand it around I'll ask you if you'll just take a piece and just hang on to it and we'll eat it together it's just a little symbol of the fact that we are one body Pass it round and oh, take a piece off and keep it. 
Could you do the same for that side, please? Yes, could you? Okay, when we, when we eat this together, I want you to uh, pray for someone, we're, all, we're, all, we're big enough to be honest here, who we find difficult in an honest state to get on with. And I don't want you to pray that God changes them <laughs> to be what you think they should change to be like. <laughs> Would you ask God to bless them? bless them like mad and you can even ask God to change you okay okay Jesus thank you that your body was broken for people like us thank you When I was thinking about the, the wine, I was thinking, I don't know whether paradox is the right word, if it's not, forgive me, but Jesus is involved in just about every part of our life. But you know, he said, I'm not going to drink wine again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. So this is sort of one, one strange time that Jesus doesn't join with us in drinking in drinking the wine. Right, I've had a I've had a picture before of Jesus um, during that moment in the in our celebration feast in heaven when we're all there, when Jesus picks up his cup, and we all know that Jesus has waited years and years and years to do this. It's this wine. Symbolising his blood that makes all of this possible. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, grab it, guys. I'm going to suggest we do one last thing, folks. Um, I'm going to suggest we say something together, which they don't normally say, which sums up our togetherness. Put your hand up if you know the words of the grace. Yeah. Okay. Can I make a suggestion? Let's not do it like this. Let's actually say it to each other. So, after me. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.